She is Holly and this is Diversify and something very interesting happened today on the way in we found our guests sat outside surrounded by kittens and we learned a really interesting fact didn't we? Yes one of the cats in our compound me and my girlfriend call Big Head Bobkin because he just has a fucking huge head and uh, I discovered today thanks to our wonderful guest that male cats when they have testicles for a long time, their head gets bigger. So, the reason that Bobkin has a massive head is because he also has massive balls. <laughs> and that feels like the perfect time to introduce the expert of cats. Hello, pussy expert. What's your name? I will take pussy expert to my grave. That is the best name in the world. My name is Lolo Brow. Dr. Lolo Brown. Pussy expert. She is on the prowl, but Ooh. she's not perfect. Ooh. Oh, that was quick. That was Yeah, we better catnip this in the bud. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Lolo. It's really lovely to have you here. Lovely to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, um, first off, I am a neo-burlesque artist slash drag queen circus performer and lizard lady. Can I ask a question? You can ask me whatever you like. What's neo-burlesque? Fuck knows. <laughs> um, well, burlesque is kind of a, a wonderful, beautiful discipline that's uh, evolved through the centuries now. Uh, neo-burlesque is using burlesque alongside other skills, kind of modernisation of burlesque in our current times, which actually technically is the original meaning of burlesque, but... I think if we start getting into that now, we'll be sitting here for a good long debate about that. It's like the bisexual-pansexual debate. Oh, I love that debate. It's my favourite. Can you explain what the bisexual-pansexual debate is, Holly? Oh, God. Um, bisexuality has been around for ages, but some people find it too binary, even though really it isn't. But they then created pansexual, which felt like a more non-gendered term, I think. Yeah, because bisexual really references to being attracted to men and women, where pansexual references being attracted to all homo sapiens, essentially. Which I find really beautiful and interesting, because I, I fancy anything with a pulse. She's a hungry lady. But I really, I find that I relate more to the term bisexual than pansexual, not because I'm not attracted to all genders and all things in between, but because I think it was my home when I first realised I'm not straight. So I think I've got maybe a bit of um, like nostalgia to it. Like it's, it makes me feel happy to say I'm bisexual. I think bisexuality as a term needs to be claimed because it so often gets erased that mm. if you don't want to be called pansexual because bisexual suits you more, fucking fight for it yeah it's absolutely fun and i think there needs to be a bit more like leeway and people being like i'm bisexual but i might be this just a bit more looseness in the term like i've started to stop naming my sexuality in that sort of sense and just started calling myself the hungry hungry hippo mm -hmm. it just seemed to be the best way to define it <laughs> and i suppose that's how you define your burlesque well. <laughs> essentially i'll just do this 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 and this and this <laughs> if you could in layman's terms compare 
the original movement of burlesque to what's going on now, how would you describe that? Weirdly, I say that burlesque would be coming back in a full circle. Burlesque started out as a side product in shows. It would be political songs, parody. This is in the like, 1800s. The women would be uh, scantily clad for the time in terms of like, you could see their wrists and you could see their ankles. The stripping element didn't really come in until much, 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 much later. And um, that doesn't define what burlesque is. Burlesque is parody, political comedy, and satire. So in fact, actually, burlesque at the moment has made full circle in terms of political satire, and at the moment it is more relevant and there are so many new, uh, young, fresh, enthusiastic burlesque dancers that aren't me coming in and doing really political stuff and really pushing the boundaries and a lot of things. So it's really nice to see that's happening again alongside the beautiful classic revival where you see all the wonderful fan dancers and incredibly powerful women doing striptease. Kate likes to say that part of this podcast is we ask the stupid questions. I'm going to uh, take this one for the team for once. I think this might be a first, actually. She usually lets me ask the stupid questions. I love stupid questions. I think it's so important. I just want you to clear up. (laughs) What would you say to the person who says burlesque is not feminist because it's just stripping and it's all for the male gaze? I would say that they've never been to a burlesque show, firstly, but also I always find the argument that the reason burlesque is not feminist is because the act of stripping, because as a stripper as well, not for many years now, but back in the day when I could put my legs up in the air, I find it ridiculous, the idea that you are lesser or you can't be a feminist because you take off your clothes in front of men, women or whatever. I just find it ridiculous because I'm choosing to do it, I should be safe doing it, and that is my feminism. Why are some people still so stuck in this certain type of second wave feminism, which is we're not allowed to be this, we're not allowed to be that? We can't embrace the fact that men and women find us attractive. Yeah, it's because it's because even on the feminist side of the fence, there are still people who are scared by female sexuality and find it intimidating, I think, in a lot of ways. And I also find it incredibly ignorant, especially when it comes from other women, this idea like, oh, you, if you have your tits out, then you can't be feminist. It's like, my boobs exist all the time. <laughs> They're just there. So why is it that when you can see them, it's different? I can dress how I want, I can be whatever I want to be, that's feminism. Yes. That's what I've decided to do. Well, that's what we're desperately trying to fight for. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, it's constant tearing each other down, which drives me out the wall. It's just, my feminism comes from supporting other women doing what they want to do and being who they want to be, is whether they want to be covered head to toe, if they want to be naked and have dollar bills thrown at them, they should be safe. That is the most important thing. Yeah. Right, we've uh, beaten feminism. We've won (laughs) the patriarchy. What's that? Yeah, I think I just got an email from Donald Trump. He's stepping down. Oh, stop it. It makes me think of Goldie Hawn, Desert Island Discs. I've listened to it three times now because she's working at the moment with lots of scientists on children's education and working with these fantastic charities. And the interviewer was like, yeah, but what about the ditzy Goldie Hawn that we all know and love? And she's like, I could be that too. Like, I love that. Why should I get rid of any part of myself? Because people will get confused. I just think she's fantastic. I can't stop listening to it. My current obsession is Jane Fonda. Oh. Oh God, Jane Fonda. Oh, yeah. Looking good at 81, Jane. She's Um, incredible. But, yeah, also, she... There was a really interesting documentary called Feminists, What Were They Thinking? It's on Netflix. And there's this one bit where she was like, I only recently realised that no is a sentence all on its own. It's a beautiful one as well. Oh, Jane. Yeah. That's something I've only learned recently as well. And it is still scary to use it because 
the aggression that usually you're met with afterwards is unfathomable. You should just be able to go, no. But... Jamila Jamil recently was on Twitter saying that when she was like 19 or something, she very respectfully let a man down and got punched in the face. <gasps> so now she pretty much has to say, I've got a boyfriend every time. And there was a really interesting discussion going on about it. Yeah, so. it's awful. So we, we have to take steps to protect ourselves because we're in this world that we're in and yet we're fighting to change it but while we're fighting to change it we have to do things that oh it's your safety is paramount yeah you've got to do to keep yourself safe you do what's good for you and no one should judge you for it i still have been known to link arms with a guy friend down the street when i felt unsafe lolo brow doesn't do that but i've had to a few times because also sometimes i'm fucking tired i don't want to have to fight every battle sometimes i just want to be invisible and also, Lolo Brow can't get up on stage and be badass and fight if she's being knocked out. Yeah, I've been pushed down the escalator because I told a guy I wouldn't give him his number. I've been threatened to be punched. I've been pushed off a train. My suitcase has been kicked just because rejection apparently is the most ultimate sin. My gosh. Also, here's another thing. At what point do you fall down the escalator, get up and go, you know what? I really think I was wrong about you. Oh, do you know what? I've changed my mind. You are just a catch. <laughs> How many times has the best man at a wedding gone, I remember when Joe first met Joe. <laughs> <laughs> we were driving our white van. Oh, and gosh. he honked and he said, show us your tits. And Jane did. <laughs> and the rest, my friends, is history. If that's ever happened. I would really enjoy that if it did. It's just, yeah, no, good God. So can I take us back a few years? Young Lolo Brow <laughs> is discovering that she is Lolo Brow. When was the moment that you realised that you wanted to do burlesque? Uh, I don't know. I watched burlesque and thought, oh my God, that looks amazing. And I wanted to do the shiny things. And I know that sounds really basic and very vague but I looked at them and I was like I want to put on the rhinestones and I want to dance around and at that point I was also convinced that I was going to be a classic vintage style striptease artist I was going to do a feather fan dance I was going to roll around the floor I was going to have balance um, but I was also at the time I was embarking on a few strip shifts that was quite early on and then I kind of and then I came across Mistress Meth who adopted me my mother dearest and I've discovered the world of political burlesque there wasn't exactly a moment there was just more of a gradual up climb of taking my clothes off for money finding out I'm relatively funny when I'm naked and also being severely heartbroken and then just kind of went <laughs> Heartbreak is the catalyst for creation. Oh, it is. It really is. And as much as, like, it is horrible, I'm really glad it did happen. It spiralled me into some really amazing places. And what was your first act? Uh, the first act, and it's still going. I still do it every Saturday. I do it in Holborn, a Sway. It's part of House of Burlesque, Speakeasy. It's at 6.30. It's a brilliantly wonderful show. It's a little bit trashy, a little bit classic, a little bit everything. Um, I do it. It's Nigella Lawson. And I take my clothes off, lip sync a mixture of her key catchphrases, and then cover my tits in mashed potato. Nigella, if you're listening, <laughs> please contact ourteamq at gmail.com for a pair of tickets to any performance you like. <laughs> that was like my weird ASMR version. I was like, are you trying to do I, an impression of Nigella? I knew you were going to do it. I just I, didn't know I how. I didn't know I was going to do it. <laughs> Something took over me. Well, I was Ooh. about to do it. Oh. So I thought, oh, Holly's going I'll in. I'll give the one with the way less sexy voice. <laughs> I just like how you had to dive in for it. That was my favourite bit about <laughs> like, the whole situation. Like you were whispering into her ear. That's yeah. exactly what I was going for. Three years of acting school, worth it. <laughs> um, 
so we've talked about how you became a performer. We talked about your first show mm-hmm. and how you gradually became a burlesque performer. Mm. Do you know what drives you? Have you learned more about why you love it? Is, I guess that's what I'm asking. What drives me to do what I do? Yeah. Money. <laughs> the weird thing is, is that sounds really, really bad and it sounds really crass, but an artist's dream is to get paid for their work and I am very fortunate to have been in that position for now seven years and I love it and now I don't have much time to create I spend most of my time producing and managing my own work so I'm essentially I'm Lolo's manager yeah and I spend my life doing that so what drives me is um pushing my work to wider audiences and um gaining like a structure within my own business which is really really fun but the thing that really really drives me at the moment is learning new skills and like applying them to my work so uh, spending time training again because I don't know, I know it sounds really weird and you're probably going to disagree with me, but I really miss being at uni. I really miss learning new things and just developing shit for the sake of it, not having to worry about if it turns into anything. So because my interests have been so driven towards, admittedly, like politics and stuff like that, but because my art's been so financially driven where I have to survive, I have to make my work to live, I've lost a lot of um, creative lust. So what I'm really going forward doing at the moment is taking it much slower and spending more time developing work that doesn't have to go anywhere or doesn't have to do anything and learning skills for the sake of it. Like I'm just doing axe throwing at the moment in my bedroom, which is super fun and doesn't need to do anything. But it's a lovely skill that I'm developing. In your bedroom? Yeah, it's quite a long bedroom. Your deposit (laughs) must be a mess. I've just got a really good aim. That is also a lie. I am so shit at it, it's insane. <laughs> I've got to say, I know what you mean in terms of, like, all of a sudden when you have to pay for rehearsal space, you suddenly go, oh, I don't know if I have time to do that thing that might not become anything. Mm. Um, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm making money. I make money from drums. I never play those drums unless someone's paying. Yeah, exactly. And that's not because... why I started drums. Yeah, I had this, like, kind of just realisation that... So I've got, like, five acts that are like booked every week and they pay for my rent, they pay for my bills, they're everything. I created those in my first two years and I've now been doing this almost nine years. I've been developing, I've gotten stronger, I've gotten more reputation, I've been building a business, I'm financially secure, but I haven't created anything and also I've just been working on my own. Uh, this is why I feel like I'm just gone a slight bit insane, but not like a creative fun insane, like I'm gonna make millions after I die sort of thing, but like, oh, this is what isolation feels like. So when I say money, I know it sounds crass, but it's the honest truth of working in the arts. All you do is finding the next chunk of money because it's so unbalanced. Someone gave me some really good advice. Um, A friend of mine who's got a child and has moved out of London, and she said, you know, what I would do if I was 29 again or if I was 26 again is I would stop worrying about where I need to get to and just do what I feel like I want to do. If you want to try something out, if you want to try a project, now is the time to do it. And I think we're three millennials sitting here who have no children, experiencing a certain level of freedom, and I worry that I will get to the point, if I decide to have kids, where I'm going, oh my god, I had so much time back then. I don't feel like I have any time. God, no, I have none. What the fuck have I been doing, though? I'm the same. I feel like... Mm. I've been going through the motions a lot, but I think we as people, we need changes, you know? You're doing so much good with your show, which you feel like you've done a million times, but you're bringing joy to whoever watches it, because they're experiencing it for the first time. I do the same thing with the work that I do, I'm sure, but we need to be growing and we need to be advancing, and I think that's probably the feeling that everyone gets every now and then, where you feel like you're not 
you're too much in your comfort zone or yeah definitely like and you're not pushing yourself and I wanted to make it really clear that I do love my job like I genuinely love running on stage every time and every time I come off stage I'm happy so it's not a lack of love it's just nothing new which sounds like I'm married to my job and it's just we've been together for a while the sex has gotten we both know how to make each other come but it's not exactly rocket science and uh I don't know, maybe there's a, a hot new skill lurking behind the bar. I have no idea where this is going. You can cut it if you like. No, it's good. <laughs> can you talk to us about the burlesque community in London and what that means to you? But it's given me a support network of incredible performers who are intelligent, powerful, strong people who just continue despite everything. Also, we're a community that is very vocal with each other. So I feel that cabaret in general, not just burlesque, has been on the forefront of a lot of political conversation in terms of we're trying to be quite strict and sure that making sure that our casts are diverse, that we've got people of colour being represented, we've got people of different abilities being represented, we've got gender non-binary, everything's being represented. And you've been seeing echoes of this for as long as I've been working here. And it's like cultural appropriation within the community is almost been taken out I'm talking about the London community because I know them not speaking for the European or the international because there is a fuck ton of uh, cultural appropriation and massive misogyny and racism that exists but London wise we are quite a good hub for being like oh actually no if I'm going to run a cabaret show I need to make sure that I am representing and it's been really nice to watch that grow admittedly it's been quite scary for a lot of people and it's been quite difficult uh, there's a lot of little white people like myself who are so worried about getting it wrong. But it's been really lovely because we've been so lucky to have communities around us that have been answering the questions for us. There's been uh, cabarets such as the Cocoa Butter Club that came into existence, which essentially said, you're not hiring enough people of colour in your shows and you're saying it's because you don't know any people of colour. I'm going to make your job really easy as a company. And they just created an entire show of people of colour and then they put that show on the internet and essentially white bookers, you have no reason to complain anymore. This exists, we've made your job easier and that is the kindest thing and most like emotionally laborious thing they could have done for the community but I'm so glad they did and it changed my thinking about tokenism and then there's other subgenres that have existed that the bit and peach has come up this year which is a pan-Asian group which is like making sure they're representing the Asian community in London and stuff like that. Of course that crossovering with a drag lots of non-binary communities literally answering our questions before people have sat down and had the intelligence to even think up the questions themselves the thing that the community has given to me is kindness patience and i think that people don't necessarily see that when they're stuck in the storm of it because it feels like you're trying to get everything right and it's difficult but there's so many people that have answered questions for us and it's so lovely. And then there's also just the other thing the community's given me, it's just like a fuck ton of really great friends who are incredible and hilarious and I can come into a show and almost every show that I work, I walk through the doors and I know there are people in the dressing room who've got my back. And I know I'm, I can't speak for everyone in the industry, but I know that's how I feel about it at the moment. So I think we can all forget how lucky we are. Yeah, especially when we're in a bubble as London is kind of a bubble and I don't really want to go down the whole Brexit nightmare conversation but it just it makes me think of the Brexit nightmare conversation and how there are so many communities that are just completely ignored and that aren't getting access to the arts as well. London is, is a non-echo chamber echo chamber yeah. it's really bizarre and I think I'm going through the age where I'm like I'm leaving London and I'm going to pay 20p for rent for a whole house <laughs> and I have this idea that I'm going to commute in and then I'm going to be a happy owner of a goat 
I just and I'm doing this project at the moment in my head where like whenever I do a gig out of London I just stay there for an extra day if I can to see if it's somewhere that I would like to move to because London has weared me down in terms of like it's great we live amongst this amazing multicultural society I benefit from so many other cultures, people of every kind of sexuality and all sorts of things, and it's been such a feeding of my soul. But it's also a home to the people that have been so aggressive to me. It's also been a place where I've had to put my guard up. It's something, yes, I'm just tired, and I keep thinking about how I want to move out of London and live to all these other places. Because when I do gigs out of London, oh, I love it so much. It's so relaxing. It's so nice, it's not stressful, and also the audiences are almost like they're grateful that you're there to start with. London, I love you, but your audiences sometimes you sit there and you're like, impress me. I'm like, I have hammered a thing into my face and you still don't love me. <laughs> yeah, so it's just really nice to step out of London and just enjoy it. But also I do experience a whole level of harassment and weirdness when I have to travel around and drag. They're like, what are you? Stupid question number two. Go for it. How can a woman drag up as a woman? <gasps> drag is more than assuming or identifying a gender or sex. That's too binary for the intelligence that we have now around gender and stuff like that. It's narrow-minded and stupid, and in fact, drag that existed in years before is, can be seen as wildly misogynistic and appropriating of femininity. So uh, a woman can be a drag queen because, Christ alive, I'm not defined by your idea of what a femininity is, and I will put my eyebrows three inches above where they're supposed to be and I will pad and I will corset and I will shout as loud as I possibly can because I'm actually not allowed to do that as a woman. Have you ever had somebody assume you're a man in drag? So many times. So many times. I also, there's a review that came out about my solo show. A woman came to see it thinking I was a man and she started the whole thing being like, women shouldn't be a drag queens. And I was like, this is going to be a great review. I can't wait. And then she spent the first 10 minutes of my show convinced I was a man. When she started hearing my voice, she was like, oh, it doesn't sound like a, a man, but maybe you can change your voice. And it wasn't until I was naked that she realised that I wasn't. And I was reading this article and being like, this is the, one of the best things I've ever read. I've also had someone, um, all of a sudden, just this drunk guy, stood up, because I just opened my coat and you could see my breasts. And he stood up, he pointed, and he went, you're a woman! <laughs> and then left. <laughs> it was just like, oh my God, did you honestly not? I'd been speaking the entire time. I was hosting the show, so I was talking. And I don't change my voice. I, I make my voice a little bit more like this, but that's about it. Um, I've had people on the street, I get a lot of, what are you? What is it is the most common thing. I've had people grab up in between my skirt to find out if I'm a man or woman. And that's been on the street or while I'm performing. People reach down my top, all sorts. People panic and they don't know what to do. And there's also an association with performers as well. I have a lot of time with audiences where I feel audiences don't know how to treat performers because they've already dehumanised them in their heads and will do things to them as if we're just there for their amusement. We are, but you don't fucking touch me or I'll break your fucking hand. Jesus. And I find it funny when people think that I'm a man. It's a massive compliment, and I'll take it. But it's um, very strange because I use my own breasts. I just pad the outsides, but you can definitely see they're real. But my favourite ever, ever time this happened, it's my favourite one. So I get on the bus with just my face. So my face is done out drag, but my natural hair's out. And I'll wear whatever clothes I'm wearing. I'm probably and by wearing... natural hair, she means it's bright green. Bright green hair. <laughs> and I'll be like wearing like combat trousers and a t-shirt. Um, and a little uh, girl on the bus went, oh, look at that lady's makeup. And the mum went, well, 
as not a lady, but sometimes men can wear makeup and that's absolutely fine. And I was like, I don't want to interrupt this lesson because it's really lovely. So I just kind of ignored it and smiled. And then um, the little girl went, no, the lady's makeup. And she went, no, 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 no. I know that she looks like a lady, but she also might be a man wearing makeup. And I think that she is. I think he is. And I was just kind of like smiling there going, fuck, I don't really know what to do. And this little girl goes, no, 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 no. It's a lady. And then the mum turned around and was like, right, now you're being rude. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> Oh, I was like, I got leant over and being like, I am biologically a woman, but I'm also a drag queen. I really don't want to screw with your gender politics that you're teaching your children. I know what you're doing and you're trying to do the right thing, but just going to throw another spanner in your works. And the look she gave me of just like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with it? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. And then got off the bus. It's really sweet when people are trying really hard, but I guess the thing is, you don't want to ruin what they're trying to do because what they're trying to do is great. But part of being... I don't know, air quotes, woke, is staying awake. So if you made that mistake at one point, like, well, that was embarrassing. Sometimes ladies wear makeup that looks like a man wearing makeup to be like a woman. <laughs> and the little kid will go, cool. Yeah. This idea, this age-appropriate thing that's kind of come in, I'm just like, I knew about sexualities of all kinds for as long as I can remember. My cat taught me, my first cat, Oh, so it all comes full circle. <laughs> I had a girl cat called Matilda. Went to the vets, found out it was a boy. My mum went, "It's a boy," and I was like, "I got really upset. I want to change, and I don't want to change their name." She's like, "You don't have to change their name. He can be a Matilda. That's fine." I was like, "Cool." Matilda liked to screw boys. He also used to like to wear my mum's high heels. I learned a lot from this cat very, very quickly. It was very simple, and I just want to shake people. There was an interview with some people that had problems with education in schools and all the changes that are being made and they were saying we're traditional people we have no problem with gay people we just don't want to put the wrong ideas in our children's heads that's homophobic that's homophobic no no we're not homophobic we just don't want our children to be thinking about it because it's not the right way to do things here's the weird thing that's happening in 2019 this inability to own the labels that are obviously the thing that you are. You know, I'm not racist. I just feel uncomfortable around black people. I'm not Islamophobic, but I really don't think that people should wear headscarves. I'm not homophobic, but I really would rather we just taught normal relationships. Where did this disconnect between what you're blatantly saying and what the word for that is happen? And somebody um, put it in a much better way than I had. It was like, people know that being homophobic is bad and they know that in their heart they're good but them being good will always trump any feeling that what they're saying is bad so instead of changing their language and their belief systems to not be homophobic to make them genuinely good they'll just say no i'm good what I've said is not homophobic and they'll just go through this cognitive dissonance mm. which just goes round and round in circles and we live in this age where we can't be like oh what you just said is objectively homophobic people are so scared of what that word means and there's a lot of this like checking your privilege and understanding and checking your own things racism is the one that I find is one of the prevalent ones when people say well that's racist people are so scared of the word because immediately as soon as you call someone racist they are wearing a white cape and burning crosses. That's not what racist is, that's an extremist. 
But as three white people, we could say that we've all benefited from a racist society. But people are so scared of that first step. I, I sound like a woke dude and I feel like I've just grown a beard and I've got a top bun and I've got my own coffee company. But I'm just, you just have to take that step forward. But people are so scared of calling themselves it because it makes them inherently bad. And I completely understand. Oh, it's just heartbreaking. Accepting that we've grown up in a society where we are often told to think things that when we get a bit older and we get a bit more woke, we go, oh, hang on. The silent judgments that sort of end up somewhere in our heads, I mean, everyone makes them from experiences they've had or from society telling you one thing over and over again and we're all just panicking and we're all just <laughs> trying to put the blame on someone else when actually we're in it and we need to fix it from the inside as much as we need to fix it from the outside. Take some fucking responsibility for your beliefs, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, people who go around with a swastika uh, as far as I'm concerned, the worst human beings on this planet. But they're not pretending that they're not the worst human beings on this planet. Do you know what I mean? We have this situation where people are being awful all the time. They're running our country. <laughs> they're running America, they're running the world, and they're awful. And they're just pretending that it's their traditional beliefs. No, you're awful. You're an awful human being. Own it. The thing that I want to hear people own more is that they're scared. Because you can deal with fear. In terms of it is homophobic, but it comes from somewhere uneducated, unexposed and scared. And you can talk to a scared person. You can fix these things. Because like finding out why or where this comes from and moving forward is the only way we're going to go through anything. An angry person is impenetrable, a scared person is vulnerable and yeah. more open. Over 50% of white Americans think they are just as big a victims of racism as African Americans. Kate, you say it a lot, a loss of privilege feels like... Oppression. Oppression. And oh my God! What?! How no, but the thing is, I hear people say this. I was, I was talking to someone and they were like, ah, oh, but it's just, there's no one getting attacked quite like white men at the moment. And I was like, oh. But it's like, I understand. It just feels like it's coming at you a lot, but this is coming from lifetimes of people that are just, it's, oh. You're not being attacked. You're being told off. Yeah. For being a dick. Or you're being called up on privileges you have. There are still people being actually attacked. 50 people got gunned down and murdered in New Zealand, which mm. is one of the most peaceful countries in the world. And the moment you go, maybe it's a problem to do with masculinity. Men pick up guns and film the entire thing as if it's a YouTube game. And the moment you go, could it be that maybe we've got a problem with white male masculinity mm. that can become toxic? Oh, I'm the real victim of this. Whereas 50 Muslims died. Yeah. So who's, who's really the victim? That is still a statistic we're ignoring about mass shootings is the predominantly male, white male um, aspect to it. And that's what's scary. And they're not calling that terrorism. New Zealand was one of the first places to actually label it as terrorism. That's because she's amazing. A, a, she's a freaking, like, icon. And is to handle the situation more incredibly than any other leader in any time. For the listeners, who are we talking about? The Prime Minister of New Zealand. Why is she not running the world? Uh, yet. Yeah. Bring her over. Right. I don't care. So I... The first time I saw proper burlesque, I think I'd gone to see you in something. Which is quite I'm a long so sorry. <laughs> the experience for me was very empowering to watch. Has your experience of burlesque transformed the way you feel about yourself? I talk to a lot of women who come see my shows, burlesque in general. 
uh, mixed reviews of all things, of course, but a lot of the time, a lot of women will come up to us and be like, they feel empowered because usually in shows you'll have a multitude of body sizes, people with different skills, people who look different, and women sometimes feel a little bit represented. They feel like, oh, my body looks like that, or my boobs aren't symmetrical, or like you're seeing real women naked on stage who are happy, having a good laugh, and are in control. No one can take anything from them. No one can touch them. They're invincible. And sometimes I look at my fellow burlesque artists and I think they're superheroes. Taking off item of clothing after item of clothing in a world that tells them that if they do that, they're lesser human. But they're untouchable and they are powerful. And when you see another woman do it, you start to think that you can do it as well. I am happiest when I'm naked. I've had very little problems being naked or showing my body for money for... Ever. It's never been a thing that's really crossed my mind, but I think that's maybe uh, just my thinking. I love that my body shape has never affected my bookings, if that makes sense. Like, my weight has fluctuated. There's some costumes that I can't fit into one year and the next year. There's other costumes that I have to get remade because I've gained too much or I've lost too much. I know that I'm not plus size, I'm just average size. And it's just nice to know that I will just continue existing and I'll continue getting booked. Age, on the other hand... Ooh. I think we're there's a push. There's a push. Grace and Frankie, Netflix. Oh fucking a yeah. We have a few questions that we ask everybody that comes on the podcast. Cool. And the first one, um, what's your favourite Disney movie? Ooh, oh Christ alive. Um I'm a big I'm a, a massive Aladdin fan. My first ever Disney crush was Jasmine. Um nice. I remember just thinking, oh god, so beautiful. I like Moana. Good old Lin-Manuel. Um, then I could just list off every Disney film because it's what I watch. And she, I like uh, she's that. picked a pretty empowering one. Moana is very empowering. Um, you kind of touched on this earlier a little bit, actually. But let's go back. When, if ever, do you turn off your activism? All the time. At least once a day. Some days for whole days. And that's really bad and it sounds really selfish. But I have to. Sometimes I get very, very tired. And it's one of the things that's exhausting me at the moment because it's not just things that are happening around the world and our access to these things. We live in an age where we can see every single thing that's happening around the world if we choose to. It's also people's opinions on it. And sometimes, like I said earlier, I won't fight every battle. Like if a guy harasses me or assaults me, sometimes I'll just put my headphones in and just walk away because those are the battles that are tiring on an individual basis and aren't worth... That sounds really bad. They are worth fighting, but they're not worth my energy when I could spend that energy on places I volunteer or the places that I work in or the communities that I'm part of. So I have to turn it off in the smaller senses to have energy to do the bigger things. Well, that was the most candid and honest answer that we've had. Really? And yeah. I don't think you should apologise for that because you, it's about self-preservation and it's about doing good with the energy that you've got and channeling that towards doing the most good you can possibly do. And if that means walking away from a fight that's going to leave you exhausted and upset and possibly traumatised, then do it. Mm. And the fact that you say, you know, you volunteer and do good proactively... I don't know if it does any good, though. I'm sure it does. Mm. Putting the energy into helping people see the world in a better way is good. Sometimes you want to be right, sometimes you want to be useful, sometimes we're lucky and we get to be both. Sometimes walking away Sometimes walking is away. what enables you to get up the next day and be right and useful. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes the only activism I want is to stay kind. The last thing that we always say, because it gets a bit dark sometimes, <laughs> which is why we 
have this podcast so that we can talk through stuff and feel like we're getting somewhere. But we like to end with a little bit of sunshine. So you were saying being kind is really important and that's the mm. biggest kind of activism we can we can give the world. Can you tell us a story or something that's going on in the world or the news that makes you go, it's not all shit? Um, that's nothing in the news, sadly, at the moment that's really ticking me We'll get there. <laughs> so I'm listening to um, No Such Thing as a Fish a lot at the moment. Me too. It's so good for your mental health. It's just good for your mental health. They just spunk facts all over you. Funny words alongside it. And they're also so human. And they get them wrong and nothing kind of goes right. And it, But they're also wildly intelligent. And they're just... It's just so good for my mental health. And I'll listen to it. And I can hear a guy shouting across from me out of a van. And I'm like, all I can hear is them telling me that an ostrich eye is bigger than its brain. And it, all you can hear is Andrew Hunter-Murray making a good pun, Anna Tuzinski schooling the boys in comedy, James Harkin correcting everybody else's bad science, and, um, oh my god, the main one. That's They're all lovely. Really nice. You can insert that in um, later. Can you tell us what that is? It's the QI podcast. It's by the QI oh, elves. elves. And each week they give their four favourite facts from the week. And That's then they fantastic. just share facts. Um, but one of the really beautiful stories is that um, I dropped my wallet and someone posted it back to me because my driving license was in it so I got my car back and my driving license and a little note no name nowhere contacting them just saying we found this on the address we hope it reaches you safely and I was like good people staying kind nice friendly people all I need sometimes is to see someone do something good that's it that is a little bit of sunshine all I need sometimes is to see someone do something good yeah and I'm really sorry Dan Schreiber I forgot your name (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, Schreiber! And he says that every episode. Every episode. People can be nice. I like that. Kindness is the most important thing for me right now as well. Especially to yourself. Especially to yourself. And to anyone you touch. Not physically. And physically, please be kind (laughs) to anybody you touch physically. Unless they've really asked for something specific. That's still... Kindness. Kindness, because it's it's consent. Yeah. Kindness is consent. Consent, ooh. And consent is kindness. Um, <laughs> plugs. Are you on Twitter? Are you on Instagram? I am on Twitter, but I don't fucking use it, so you're more than welcome to follow it for the occasional time that I'm drunk and then put up something that I think is hilarious, mostly puns. Um, I'm at Lolo Brow on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. I'm the only one. L-O-L-O-B-R-O-W, like, brow. <laughs> Uh, Anti eyebrow is a pun. My name is a pun. pun. Yeah, yeah. She's a pun queen. I am so so pun. obsessed. My boyfriend will tell you that I just get drunk and send people puns. I am at R T M Q. Our as in belongs to us, like the cats. No, they belong to themselves. They belong to me. Team as in support the seagulls. Oh, Why did you ask me to do that? And Q as in Q for lunch at the rest. I don't know. At the restaurant, as long as it's vegan. Kate is on Twitter at Kate Lois Elliot. Two L's, two two T's, and Instagram at Kate Lois Elliot. Two L's, two T's, and we are on Twitter at Diversify Pod and Instagram at Diversify Podcast. And you can email us at rteamq at gmail.com. with all your lovely thoughts.
Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And download and tell your racist Uncle Mike. To not be racist anymore. <laughs> okay. Just be nice. And kind. Bye. <laughs> Everyone should just have a nap. Collective world nap.